Welcome back to The Daily Drum on Sirius XM Channel 141 and WHUT-TV. I'm Harold Fisher. We're at the Reporters Roundtable with some of the top stories of the week. My guests are Eva McKen, CNN national politics reporter, and Hamil Harris, reporter for The Washington Informer. Lines are open at 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. You can, of course, ask me at hfisherwhur. Or find me on Instagram at Harold T. Fisher. We were talking about security at HBCUs particularly, specifically, Hamil, about this um, request by Morgan State University President Dr. David Wilson for $22 million to build a security wall around the university. Of course, Morgan State, like Howard University, like many HBCUs, Morehouse and Spelman, and they are in urban areas. They are in open campuses. And there's always a concern when you have colleges and universities in open urban areas, not just HBCUs. It's, it's the same at George, Georgetown. It's the same at uh, yeah. George Washington. They're, they're all in, they're in the city. Go ahead, Emil. Again, you know, I've had, I've seen a mix of emotions. I had some of my female students were very frightened. This thing started a week ago because they didn't want to have homecoming. Remember, this was supposed to be homecoming. And homecoming is when people come back to the campus to celebrate. But when you have Sexy Red um, want to perform, and some of the girls said, we don't want our bodies degraded by people looking at us trying to dance on our campus. So, again, you have a mixture here. And so then we go for a mixture of people shooting. And I've had too many students who say, I'm going to go get a gun from that because I'm scared. And they don't say that. And one person told me that they actually were shooting out the ninth floor, you know, at this Thurgood Marshall of all people at that dormitory with 600 students. The SWAT team was going down the, going down in the hallway. A mother from New Jersey who came in and says, I'm taking my daughter home. So this is real in the name of homecoming. So, again, you don't want to do this. But it's easy to have a debate when you don't go to the campus. I'm, I got a group of students here. They just want to go home tonight. They just want to get have a decent meal without being threatened, shot, or carjacked at the University of Maryland. So, again, we still a mixture of stuff going on, Harold. Yeah. Eva, your, your thoughts about security, specifically uh, protecting our HBCUs? Yeah, I'm curious to see what Congress's role will be. There is a bipartisan HBCU caucus. We have seen in recent years an appetite from both Republicans and Democrats to champion HBCUs because I think all sides agree it's really good politics. We know that under this administration, more than $7 billion um, has gone to HBCUs, so there is that commitment there. So I'm wondering if there's going to be any policy response to step up uh, security in the wake of... Uh, increased bipartisan support. But it's definitely alarming. We know we also had uh, campuses months ago receive terroristic threat or bomb threats, and there was widespread concern about that. And so there might be a conversation that emerges on Capitol Hill um, about a, a legislative response. Yeah, I, I and I think you make an, an excellent uh, an, an excellent point about those, wh- whether they were 
uh, hollow threats uh, against HBCUs, but whatever uh, they they were, um, they were still, you know, cause for alarm and raising questions about how we need to protect our, you know, our, our prized institutions of of higher learning. And so I'm I'm very very interested in seeing. Uh, what what comes of this twenty two million dollar request, you know, for Morgan, and you know, kind of moving forward, because if you look at what the president of Bowie said, she shut down Bowie State University this week to address issues of mental health for students, staff, and and faculty. But you know, underlying all of that is the the issue of of security. Um, I do want to uh, move to uh, to the next, you know, to the next topic, and certainly, you know, Eva, this is your your wheelhouse. The slow race that may be an oxymoron. The slow <laughs> the slow race for Speaker of the House, where the House went into recess today. Steve Scalise was, as you know, picked uh, by, you know, by the Republicans, you know, as speaker uh, or, or at least, you know, the speaker designee. But he still needs he still needs to vote, needs needs the vote vote kind of kind of explain, you know, what's next. Why? Why did why didn't they just go in for a vote right now? I mean, it, now more than ever. The House needs a speaker. They sure do. Listen, Congressman Scalise enjoyed a majority of support from his conference, so the final vote was 113 to 99. But you need uh, 217 on the House floor, and he doesn't have that. And rather than risk another embarrassing episode where it was over a dozen rounds to elect the former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republicans are still trying to find enough consensus among themselves to advance a House speaker. Essentially, there are just still some holdouts. Uh, Congressman Max Miller of Ohio, uh, Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, they are right now at this hour saying they would not vote for Congressman Scalise. And what we've seen is just on the other side, Democrats not have sort of this, the rank, this rancor in their mix. Of course, it's a lot easier to be in the minority. When you're in the minority, there usually is more uh, consensus because there's not as much at stake as when you're in the majority. But Republicans have just had a really hard time figuring this out. And it has caused great concern because the government will soon need to um, uh, pass a budget. Um, and they are also confronting multiple international issues. And so this is a, a key time for there to be somebody in charge. So I, I need to ask, I need to ask a question and, and maybe this is something I missed, but any speaker would need 217. What happened to 218? I think, I think it's because they've had, they had some absences. Um, yeah. So I think 217 uh, is the number they, they need now because they have some absences, some people out sick, so uh, 218 is no longer 
needed. Okay, and and it and it may seem like a, a simple thing, but with the the fifteen rounds for McCarthy, yes, it was two eighteen, and then all of a sudden, it, it became two seventeen, and I'm thinking, okay, what what happened? And because it adjusts when there are absences on both sides of the aisle. So if there are members not present to vote, and I think the the they have calculated for potential absences, and then now they're two seventeen is the needed number. Yeah, um, you know, Hamil, when when we look at what's happening on Capitol Hill right now, there's been a lot of chaos. There's been a lot of confusion. Uh, obviously, starting with recently, I should say, the the, the the federal government shutdown, then the ousting of of McCarthy, and then even the news about George Santos being you know, facing more federal charges. All of this just on the Republican side. The Democrats uh, seem to be rock solid in their their solidarity. Kind of share your thoughts about, you know, what we're seeing right now. And do you believe that this may may impact the 2024 election? Well, I think, first of all, Harold, the key thing is it's clear this is political grandstanding for the Democrats and Republicans. And again, McCarthy was portrayed as a weak leader when he came into Congress. Matt Gates, who happens to be my congressman from Florida, um, doing his thing. But the bottom line is this is a Congress that represents the country. And we have a war situation going on, the Port of Israel, the war in the Ukraine, and they're sitting there figuring out who's going to be the head king of the ranch. So again, this is clearly a situation that's politics. And don't think that they will not shut the government down in, what, 28 days, something like that. So again, this is a spectator sport at the worst time in the country. And plus, you have federal workers, you have universities that have to function like the University of Maryland. These students want to be educated. They need leadership, not clownery and buffoonery. But that's what you get. So, again, all we can do is watch this like you watch a football game. You know, maybe Deion Sanders should come up here and figure out how to run <laughs> Yes, Deion Sanders, a unifying force. Uh, go figure. <laughs> that's funny. That's very funny. Uh, real quick, uh, this is an, another interesting thing uh, that is literally happening uh, today uh, in in D.C. government, looking at metro fare evaders. This issue uh, it continues to be problematic. There was a hearing today weighing some some. Uh, some policy changes for fare evasion, even though WMATA, the you know the metro system has uh, added these gates that are supposed to discourage uh, fare jumping and the like. But certainly, this keeps happening. And some of the reporting today, Eva, was that you know you may start as a fare jumper. But at some point, and particularly if you're a young person, but that may end up, if, if you don't care about the little laws, eventually you're not going to care about the big laws. Yeah, this is an argument that's often made on a whole host of, of small crimes, but it's often met with pushback. You know, yeah. we know in New York City it was called the broken window policy. 
you know. So we'll have to see where this ends up. Um, Metro said fare evasion happens about 40,000 times every day within the transit system. That's I'm a really lot. By that? Yeah, I was quite surprised when I read that. Um, because, you know, I ride the Metro and I don't see people <laughs> evading that much. So I was quite surprised by that. But um, they said that, you know, people aren't really paying these fines or giving their real names. And, you know, I guess maybe as a revenue source, they find that this is something that needs to be pursued. Uh, yeah, certainly the, the revenue is is important. There, there, there's no question about that. But I would also argue, Hamil, this is when you talk about uh, the about the quality of the transportation system, how people view the transportation system, even how you view the District of Columbia and some of its other, you know, wider problems. This is this is certainly something that. I'm sure Randy Clark does not want to see, and it's and it's big enough of a problem where the the system has invested money to not only address these gates, to change the gates, but also to you know to to reach out to city officials to talk about, you know, policies and, and laws to address this issue. Camille. Yeah, I just think the bottom line, we've had the fair jumpers this Metro. Right now, it's like sometimes the right hand don't know what the left hand doing. Right here at University of Maryland, we have the purple line coming right through through the middle of campus, you know, and so you have, this is a multi-million project, but it's tearing up neighborhoods. You got things going all around us. So again, these projects are very important, but no one knows when it stops, when it will stop for a while, then nobody knows when it's going to be finished. These students are trying to get the classes back and forth. And it's like walking through a mountain valley or something. So again, these projects, Metro needs to give a greater account on safety and stuff. You know, I'm, I have a amputated part of my foot and I'm scared every time I get on the train, you know, I mean, it's hard. So again, what can we do but just be spectators in this? Yeah, but, uh, but Hamil, you know, both you and I were around uh, when Metro officially opened in 1976. And, there, and Metro has always had growing pains. The construction has never been an easy uh, issue. And, and so whether, as the system grows, all, these things are always, I think these things are always going to happen. No, that's, that's for sure. But it just seems that maybe it can't be moved. Maybe it's always going to be a mountain over here, a valley, doing slamming people, jumping off train. I don't know. But I know it just seems to be for the money that people put into this system, it needs to be a better job done. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, let me go to the phone lines real quick, 202-319-7810. Uh, Sheikha, calling from Virginia. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Good afternoon. Uh, Mr. Earl, um, thank you for taking my call. Um, Real quick, I've, there, I've got i got to keep moving. So, what's on your mind? Go right ahead, please. So, what on my mind? I, I, it, uh, so, what on my mind? I hear the old media, the Western world crying foul play when Abbas hit Israel, but the Israeli have been occupied Palestinian territory. Palestinians have been mistreated. 
Palestinians have been horrible. Do you see what is happening in Gaza? The Palestinians have no future. And I'm disappointed that President Biden gave a strong remark. He did not even mention the Palestinian people. Are you kidding me? For centuries, these Palestinian people have been under apartheid. They've been destroyed. They've been misplaced. Would you like to be refugee in your own country? I will, but you know, but you know, Sheikha, 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 let, let me say, you know, uh, when we kind of look back at the, the more this has been going on as I think as we've addressed, you know, since 1948, there's a, and there's a centuries old history here that I I am not qualified to to recount. But it, it, it seems to me that that trying to find peace in this region uh, there have been so many attempts. The Clinton administration. Um, you remember the, you know the the Carter administration, uh, and if we could. Don't you know, forget the British. The, don't forget the British administration to the British government who displaced these folks. You see, it's a double standard. But I would say that at, I think at some point. And this is, and I think this is really a, a much broader argument, because um, I think even under the Obama administration, at one point, paraphrasing here, you know, President Obama says, "You guys got to figure this out," and I don't, and and this is going to continue. And as you know, as Eva said, you know, earlier, this issue may not end with Hamas. And Israel, there there could be broader implications here with with uh, with Iran and and other actors in the region. And so uh, this is this isn't just a small skirmish. It's a, this is a horrible this is a horrible situation. That as we said, if you're not paying attention, you should be, no matter what side you're on or no sides. But I think. You know, I think the bottom line is, you know, we all want peace and there is no easy road uh, down there. But, Sheikha, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, your phone call. Let me go uh, now to uh, to this other issue. And I think all of us have 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 felt this. Uh, Eva, what is going on with these junk fees? You know, the, the Federal Trade Commission now proposing to, to make them, you know, more transparent and you want to talk about sticker shock of of every kind whether you're on whether you're buying airplane tickets whether you are sitting in a restaurant i mean what on earth eva they are a real pain in the butt <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and and a pain in the wallet yes president biden today at the white house said that folks are tired of being taken advantage of and being played for suckers. Um, and so that this is this is sort of a, a bipartisan issue. Like, you know, no one likes these junk fees. It was a little attacked a little bit on his right today. I saw Congressman uh, Byron Donald. He's a, a Republican out of Florida, I believe. Outspoken Florin, uh, yeah. black Republican out of Florida. And he was like, why is the president talking about this issue when we've got what well, we've got to rescue American hostages in Israel? But I think we saw the administration here still trying to center domestic policy issues as they also handle uh, the international <clears throat> crises. But yes, uh, so these junk fees, 
um, the FTC, the new proposed rule, they would prohibit these fees. They're basically hidden bogus fees that harm consumers. And um, the, the agency says that this is something that they want to go after, after receiving more than 12,000 comments uh, from the public about the how annoying these fees are. And, um, yeah, this is something the administration wants to pursue. Well, you, you remember he mentioned this during his State of the Union address. And... And now he, here we are, and it, you know, no shade to uh, the the Florida congressman as to you know questioning why is he talking about this? We should have been talking about this for years, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Be, because if and and I I remember the very first time that that I encountered one of these fees was a resort fee going down to South Beach in Miami where I you know you bought your stay at the the Ocean Drive resort or hotel online you paid everything up front and then when you got there they hit you with a resort fee uh, and I'm thinking to myself a resort fee for this little place and so that meant that and it was only $35 but it was $35 that I didn't know I had to pay and it and this was for towels. I said, "Well, can I just take the towel from the room?" No, you've get, whether you do that or not, you've got to pay your $35, but now it's it's a few pennies, it's a few dollars, it's several dollars. It is a resort fee. It may be an entertainment tax. These are the the fees, uh, Hamil, for those Beyonce tickets that that are all that already cost a whole bunch of money, but then these people need to get paid and these people need to get paid. And and that that five hundred dollar ticket ends up costing you after fees seven hundred dollars. In fees, but the thing about it, Harold, people do what they want to do. I've heard crazy stories. I'm not gonna beat up on that concert, but I've heard people. <laughs> You're not gonna beat up on Beyonce, okay? Like, yeah, because you know you did it. You paid five hundred dollars for Beyonce, and that's no, I don't know that. No, I did. But I did again, not. No, I did not go. I I I didn't go. Uh, you know, I, I didn't do the Beyonce thing. But please go ahead. So all I'm saying is that we live in a time where it's consumer-driven, people do what they want to do, and we can't play the moral clock or whatever, but people are doing it. And it's a rough time because the economy is straining a lot of people's budgets. But what can they, they're going to do what they want to do. College students going to Beyonce concerts and stuff like that. And what can we do? Yeah, but I, but I, I agree, and it's not so much that you, that the fees need to be paid. Eva, I think the thing that is distressing for a lot of consumers is that you don't know what the fees are or when they're coming until you get hit with them when you when you are ready to give give the the vendor whomever it may be your credit card number and and I think it's the sticker shock part and it also does not allow you to make uh informed comparisons when you're shopping. That's right. And the FTC, I'm just reading on their site, they say that the rule will save consumers more than 50 million hours per year 
of wasted time spent searching for the total price in live ticketing and short-term lodging alone. So, you know, and then they say the time savings is equivalent to more than $10 billion over the next decade. Um, It is a hassle. It's annoying. It's prohibitive. And it's something that consumers shouldn't have to deal with. Yeah. Let me go back to the phone lines, 202-319-7810. Kevin calling from Maryland. Thanks for calling, Kevin. What's on your mind? Hi, I have a, um, my question is about the Metro. Very sure. Now, I have a, a little money, um, but I can't afford Metro. I'm retired, and I'm retired. So what are these kids supposed to do that I see jumping the turnstile? Is, is it, are they just not supposed to ride Metro? Um, and I think there's an assumption that if they had money, they jump the turnstile. And I know I'm generalizing, but it, it's kind of, this shouldn't even be an issue. Um, like I heard some earlier, I, well, maybe it was you or somebody said that all the money that we spend on Metro, we still can't get an elevator to work. Well, I mean, or an escalator to work. But my question is kind of not rhetorical. What are these kids supposed to do? Well, it's interesting you should say that. And, and Hamil, you may be uh, able to articulate this a little bit better than I. But you, you remember there was a, the great big discussion about free bus service in the District of Columbia, for example. Mm-hmm. And, and, and funding that, for, not, not for kids, for everybody. Okay. Uh, but the, the, rea- but the, how, the reality is most bus service with young people in the district is free. And, and for them to be a jumper, sometimes they just want to be bad because they're being bad. But, again, if you're in the District of Columbia, you're a high school student, or in Prince George County, you ride the bus. You ride the metro for free. And people are still jumping, and that's very dangerous. I'm that's sorry. I'm not dangerous. buying that. Uh, I'm not, well, because I know. I don't make it. Re- I mean, I don't. I because I don't jump the turnstiles, and I don't jump. But I also right. can't afford it. As a retired Navy and Army veteran, I can't afford DC Metro. But I, I think so. I, I think these are two separate issues, um, in within the same bucket. Yes, uh, the the cost of Metro. Uh, is now and has been for the past several years uh, a bone of contention, bone of contention. And going all the way back, we what we do know is that the the care and maintenance of a metro, uh, even in its in its earlier, not earliest, but earlier years, uh, went wanting, and now. Uh, not only this current Metro general manager, but uh, the one previously has been plagued with trying to figure out how to make repairs that should have been done years and years and years ago. And that and that is part of it. The, uh, and I think the other thing is, uh, Kevin, is that uh, Metro is its funding is a conglomerate of, you know, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, federal money, you know, and all of that. And so um, I think the, 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 the whole funding question about, about Metro and, 
and passing it on to to writers is going to continue to be a, a very very difficult thing. But um, and then of course again, the the fair jumping, particularly as it relates to to young people, as I said earlier, is a bigger conversation about um, uh, crime in this in this city and 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 quality of life crimes. But uh, Kevin. Uh, I'm going to have to let you go. Thank you very, very much. Real quick, I, I wanted to make sure I, I got to this because this was a very, really important uh, piece. Yesterday at Flowers High School, uh, Prince George's County Executive Angela Alsobrooks, uh, County State's Attorney Aisha Braveboy met with uh, young people from across the country to across the county to ask about violence. And uh, and this is what Aisha Brave Boy said yesterday, which was a very, very uh, fascinating uh, response after this meeting. One of the things they said is that you can kind of develop your own persona on social media. And that's why guns become um, so important for these young people who want to act like tough guys or girls. And so having that gun being on social media with those weapons, you know, gives off a persona that they want to, um, you know, show the world. Eva, she was saying that social media has a it is the kids are saying that social media is responsible uh, as a, a foundation for why we're seeing this this violence uh, among young people. Your your thoughts about her comment? Yeah, I think it's a real issue, and I think that's why we've seen so many parents get more aggressive with trying to monitor and limit and raise the age uh, in which they expose their children to social media. We heard these young people talk about depression, isolation lingering effects of the pandemic and and it's a real widespread concern yeah and you know Hamil, i'm i guess again you know being a a person of a certain age you know our minds have have developed to a point where the the impact of social media on 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 older adults may not be as severe as it is on these on these young people when we were kids what did we have we had we had telephones, we had television, that was kind of it. And now they have so much information coming at them and a way to connect even improperly with each other, which may be uh, one of the the causal effects of the kind of violence that we're seeing in the streets. But, 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 but Harold, we seem to always blame everybody but ourselves. I got a group of students right now, and they're talking about diversity. And no one's in here, but yeah, they know how to get along and talk and think about mental health. We have forums that we talk about everything, but nothing ever changes. I mean, when can we talk with people in smaller groups instead of do the blame game? I got a 16-year-old son, and he has more weapons, fake guns and stuff, and I've tried my best to work with him. Okay, but let me, but hold on, Hamil, real quick, and I'm running out of time, but you said you've got students. You're talking about college students. We're talking about, we're, we're we're talking about middle schoolers. Where, and, where, and where they also said that lack of family support uh, is also an issue. I have a, I'm at a D.C. charter school. I'm not going to mention. I've had four people get shot and killed in the same school in the last few years. How about that? But you know, but hold on. Hold, Hamil, hold on. 
What I'm saying is they not they pointed to social media, but they were also saying poor parenting and lack of family support as a contributing factor. So I'm going to have to let that be the last word. Um, Eva McKinn, Hamil Harris, thank you so much. I really appreciate your your insight, and uh, certainly we'll be we'll be talking again. That is the Daily Drum for this Wednesday, October 11th. I'm Harold Fisher. Good night.